0: Well, Happy New Year. Tonight, at midnight, the page turns. The calendar flips. And we put 2023 to bed. And we awaken to a new day, day one of 2024. For many people, the start of a new year serves as an opportunity, an annual opportunity, to instigate change, to have a fresh start, to make resolutions, to change or to improve the various rhythms and disciplines of life. Some people, many people like to do this. When I was at Erskine working with students for a number of years, It was our elementary education majors who would come back to start the new year with great zeal. They oftentimes would come back and color code their calendar and line everything up for how they were going to have the perfect semester. Some people are wired this way. Um, they, They like this. It energizes them. And then some people aren't this way at all. They were the philosophy majors who saw it all as foolishness, right? And so this morning, as we talk about what the Bible calls change, deep change, those two extremes of personality types are surely in this room. Some of you love resolutions. You love the start of a new year, and you like to get your ducks in a row and have a fresh start. Other people see it as foolishness, nonsense, scandalous Babylonianism, since the root of resolutions is connected to 4,000 years ago with the Babylonians, it has been suggested. So there's all kinds of different opinion in the room and, and thoughts and feelings towards resolutions. I happen to be one who has always benefited from planning and structuring change in a new year. But to be clear, the Scriptures talk a lot about our need for change. That we're not supposed to remain as we are, and that change is what God does in us. Not superficial change, not self-serving change, not worldly change, but the Scriptures talk about deep, lasting change internal transformation that is both God-honoring and sin-killing. It's the kind of change that God Himself works in His people and that He has Himself resolved to accomplish in His people. So with that important distinction, when I say resolutions, when I say change, with that important distinction... And that clarification in mind, I'd like this morning to use this occasion with the changing of the calendar to encourage us all to think more deeply, perhaps more intentionally and certainly more prayerfully for how the Lord might work change in each of us in the year 2024. That we might grow in grace. We might be sanctified. That would be the language of the Bible. So give your attention to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. And we're going to begin here and we're going to end here, but there are a lot of scriptures that you'll hear this morning on this subject. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 23 and 24. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. Let's pray that God would help us to understand this good news. Lord, would you open our eyes to see what you have promised to do in us in those who profess faith in the Lord Jesus. Lord, this morning, would you inspire, would you empower deep change in your people? A change that would honor and glorify you in the new year that we will live. We pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. So statistics on resolutions are always good to be reminded of um, when the new year begins. Did you know that 38 to 39% of U.S. adults practice the setting of New Year's resolutions? So that's a pretty significant number. 59% of young adults aged 18 to 34 practice New Year's resolutions. That's pretty significant. 48% of those... Resolutions tend to involve the preoccupation of exercise. It's the number one resolution that people tend to make. But 23% of those quit after the first week. 9% successfully keep their New Year's resolutions. And I don't know that I believe that statistic at all. But I'm a cynic and a pessimist. But many people, they see the calendar and the opportunity for change. And just the fresh start, just the page turning on the calendar can can be an occasion for people to turn their subject and their direction towards change. And so I'm going to do that this morning, turning our attention to Scripture with three simple points. And the first is this. I think that it's pretty clear that there is a universal need of change. A universal need that is common to everyone. I think those statistics show us that. Everybody knows that they're not right on the inside. In some way, they need to change. Every person, in every place, and in every circumstance, it all screams out the need for human Change. You can watch the news and see the profound need for change in humanity. Read the newspaper or look in the mirror. There's a profound need for change in every person. Now, why is that? Well, Genesis 6 verse 5, which we've heard several times this year, says this. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So there's something wrong within humanity, men and women and children. The Bible calls it evil. The Bible calls it sin. At the heart of our need for change is our sinful nature. That's the Bible's telling of the story. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, I think we identify what that real need for change is. And that's where we're told that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And as you watch the news... As you look in the paper or as you look in the mirror, I think you'll see it's the absence of the fruit of the Spirit that is the need for change. That's why everyone and everything in every nook and cranny of the world is screaming out the need for change. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 21, he says, So I find this law at work within me, although I want to do good. Evil is right there with me. And he's revealing that inner nature problem that every one of us has. And that is why there is a universal need for change. It's everywhere. It's the condition of the earth. It's the condition of humanity. Everything is broken. Everything and everyone. And so there's a universal need for change. But secondly, in the Bible, there is a particular call for change. That is that God commands His people to change. To become more and more like Himself. Several scriptures here. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 the Lord says, "...as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy... So be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So here the Lord is telling those who look to Him in faith in the Lord Jesus, His covenant people, they are called to be holy. It's a particular call to a particular people. And it's a call to be different. It's a call to not be like the world. Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a particular call to the people of God to be different than the world, to be holy. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that call to be holy is even more particular as a call to become more like Jesus. For those God foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So there's a universal need for change. And there's a very particular call of God upon His people to change and to become like Him. Now that's two points of the sermon of a three-point sermon done. But here comes the third point. And this is the good news. The need for change and the particular call to change, we have hope that it can happen. And it's not hope in your abilities. It's not hope in your rolling up your sleeves and you're making it happen on your own. It's the hope that God is at work to do this. That it's His will for you and that He will accomplish it Himself. The passage from 1 Thessalonians, May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body, that is your whole person, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the one who calls you is faithful and He will do it. Do you hear the good news? God is calling us to change, to not remain as we are, to not wallow in our sin patterns, in our sin rhythm, in our sinful condition. But He is a change agent and He does a work of transformation in His people. God had promised to do this in the Old Testament. This isn't just a New Testament teaching. In Ezekiel chapter 36, you remember these words. When he speaks of his covenant people and what he will do for his church, he says, for I will take you out of the nations. I'll gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. And here it is. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. You see, it's the Lord who gives a new heart, a living heart, that would seek to obey Him, that would seek to change, that would desire to change. God promised to make that change in His people and God has begun that work of change in His people. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, we're told, "...now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power..." That is at work in you. So, God is at work in his people. God is doing something in those who know him as his covenant people, as his church, as his treasured possession. And the God who promises to do that work promises to finish what he starts. Philippians chapter 1, verses 4 to 6. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The promise here, the good news, is that God himself will do that work in his people. And when he starts a work... He finishes His work. Now, I don't know how you men are with your projects around your house. I have a hard time finishing what I start. The Lord is not that way. When He starts something, He finishes something. And so if you see any evidence of God at work in yourself, in the people around you, according to this passage, you should should take great heart. God is not going to abandon, He's not going to forsake what He has begun. My stubbornness and my sinfulness may drag it out, but He is going to accomplish what He has begun in you, in your spouse, in your children, in your family, your friends, your neighbors, all, that you, all those you have seen God at work in. The hopeful prayer is that He will finish what he has started. He will see it through to completion. So as we talk about change, as we talk about resolutions, we're all wired differently. I think we've we've seen that. Uh, Some love it, some hate it. But here's my challenge to you. On this subject, as we begin a new calendar year, could you lean into it with some intentionality? Whether you're young or whether you're old. Could you think about how the Lord would want you to grow in grace, to put sin to death, sinful patterns, besetting sins, sinful preferences? Could you identify intentionally by faith in your own life, Lord, what would you seek to put to death in me? What changes for myself? What changes that would affect the people around me that that I bear witness to about my faith? Could you think intentionally and go into 2024 with a robust view of sanctification? That God is at work. That He wants to do a thing in you and that you should be prayerful and intentional in supporting and laboring to see that change take place. Now, a few applications on this. I found that there are, there are ways that this goes right and there are ways that this goes wrong. Let me start with how this goes wrong. It goes wrong if perhaps you have great success. You're a list maker. You're a to-do, check off the list. And you feel like you are crushing it in 2024. 2024 but your roommate isn't, or your spouse isn't, or your co-worker isn't, and you start to look down on your nose on those who won't be sanctified like you. That's where this goes wrong is if it inflames pride, if it inflames arrogance because you experience some degree of success in laboring for change. So you have to push back on yourself. You have to preach the gospel to yourself in your success that it is God at work in me. It's just not for me to boast about. It's God at work in me. Changing my desires and conforming me more and more to Him. Secondly, it also goes wrong if you don't have success. And you become a self-loather. I can't do anything right. God can't love me. I despise myself. Okay, that's, that's not sanctification. That's getting it wrong. Okay, So our successes and our failures, whichever they may be, they're opportunity to preach the gospel of grace to ourselves. To remember it is God who is gracious and He is the sanctifier of the wicked. And so we look to Him by faith. Practically speaking, we're asking Him to do the work in us that He's promised. Now how does it go right it's two ways it goes wrong. How, how does it go right? I would say it goes right when we learn that the Christian life is really a fight. It's learning to contend with sin. To push back on sin in our own lives or in the lives of those around us. To contend with sin, to live the Christian life, to resist the devil, the scriptures say, and he will flee from you. To learn that the Christian life is really it's not a spectator sport. You are to engage by faith and seek to be the man, the woman of God that God is calling you to be. So we get it right when we fight for sanctification, when we're not easily defeated. But we rise up by faith and contend with our sin. No longer making excuses for it. No longer saying, well, everybody does it. But we go to work by faith and say, Lord, make me to be the man or the woman, the young man, the young woman that you are calling me to be. Give me the faith to fight for my sanctification. Sinclair Ferguson reminds us, On the subject of sanctification that we have everything needed to see our lives changed if we have Christ. He says this, when we get Christ by faith, we get everything that is in him to pardon, to liberate, and to transform our lives. And what he's saying there is if if you feel like you don't have the resources for change... If you have Jesus, you have the resources for change. It doesn't mean that change is going to be easy, but you have the resources for the kind of change to transform your heart, your mind, and the living of your life. You see, understanding that will give you a robust view for change, that you can change, that the people around you can change, if they have Jesus. And that's really the question, isn't it? Do you have Jesus? Do they have Jesus? Are they looking in faith to Jesus? Or are they just trying to prove themselves? I can do this. I got this. And so when we lean into 2024, when I say that, I mean leaning into it by faith. Faith in Jesus. And if you have Him, you by faith believe you have everything needed to put sin to death. To experience transformation. Not overnight, but for the long haul. That's the invitation that the Scriptures have to us. To live the Christian life. To live for the glory of God. To honor Him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Listen to it one more time. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. There's your prayer for the new year. There's your encouragement for change. God Himself is at work in His people. We look to Him, we pray to Him, and we seek to fan the flames of holy change, the motive of honoring and glorifying the God who has redeemed us, the one who died for us. We seek to live for Him and for His glory. So today, tomorrow, make your lists. Go for that long walk and think through the the pattern of your life, the disciplines that you have or that you don't have. Make that list and identify those things that you believe the Lord would be pleased if you turned your attention and prayed for change in those categories. Make those lists. And if you have great success, praise be to God. And if you struggle and fail and realize how deep-seated your sin problem is and, and, and it is a fight, then I say fight the fight. Don't feel defeated by sin, but continue to fight the fight. Contend for your sanctification. Contend for the sanctification of your spouse. Contend for the sanctification of your children. But fight the good fight. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, would you do this work in us? Would you finish what you have started? Would you put the power of sin to death in us? And would you give us a heart that seeks to honor you in everything that we do, whether at work, at home, at play? Lord, we want to honor you with all that we do and all that we say. So, Lord, would you give us a year filled with faith, a year that aspires towards obedience, and would you sanctify your people? For we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen.